You're listening to the Champ Off-Road Podcast, presented by Amswell. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Champ Off-Road Podcast, presented by Amsoil. Shane Stetsny, Brent Smith, as always. And Brent, we're uh, firing these out rapid fire this week, but this one's going to be a little bit different. No guest this time, but we're going to break down some of the big stories from the first half of the Champ Off-Road season. Yes, Shane, the first half is in the books. It's been amazing. The races have been very, very competitive. I mean, we can go down the ladder all the way from 1600 light buggy to Pro 4, we don't know who's going to win that championship yet. Yeah, for the most part, the championships are wide open. We'll get to that in a little bit, but there's a couple big stories that I want to talk about. Two guys that are facing some serious adversity so far. And one of those drivers in Pro 4, Kyle LaDuke, has zero wins for the season. His last podium was back in round three. You remember, we just finished round six at ERX. His last win... 2021 round eight at dirt city that's almost an entire calendar year that he has not won a pro four race what do you think is going wrong this year for kyle LaDuke? oh man that's that's a that's a tough one to call i mean you've been watching kyle all year long and they don't they never say die attitude in their program they're always coming at it 120 percent, and they've had some problems with suspension they've had some engine issues I mean, the truck is fast. Trad and the guys have that truck dialed in, but I just think that bad luck curse is still on their side. I mean, CJ and Kyle Duke, that battle they had, Shane, I mean, we got to call it, but from at home, I can't imagine. That was one of the best Pro 4 races around. I thought, hey, this is where Kyle gets out of that slump and maybe picks up his first win of 2022, but hey, it wasn't his time. CJ's just been that dominant. Well, that's just it. I mean, you go back to rounds one and two at Anigo. Kyle LaDuke was the fastest, had the fastest lap both rounds at Anigo, but had some tire problems, had to settle for second. Uh, just a couple days ago, or last week, I should say, at ERX, same thing. He's battling for the lead both days, and then it just, everything goes off the rails. Like you said, that's just terrible bad luck for the 99. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know they're going to overcome this, but the season's at the halfway point. For them to win that championship... They need to win from here on out. And I know they're throwing everything aside. They're going to throw everything at what they need to do to get that truck to be the best. I mean, it's been a year since he's been in victory lane. But if he's going to bounce back, I mean, I've been saying it a lot this year, Shane. But I think this weekend he needs to get it done because people are waiting for LeDuc to put it back on top of the box. It's not easy in Pro 4 no more. Yeah, he's got a lot of fans that are getting a little bit impatient, but like you were saying, he's one of the most competitive guys around, one of the most competitive guys in the sport. And I have no doubt that he'll kick the bad luck one way or the other, even if it's just power of will. Another super competitive guy who's really not having a good time so far is Keegan Kincaid in Pro 2. Same story. He has zero podium finishes. That's unthinkable for the success that he's had over the last few years, being champion last year, for him to be halfway through a season with no podium finishes. Best finish was a fourth back in round four at Crandon. Then you go back to round five, that restart of that race, he got spun around, collected Ryan Beat, no fault whatsoever of Ryan Beat. He There's no way he could have avoided hitting Keegan Kincaid, but it knocked out Keegan for round six. He actually packed up and went home after round five. He's 108 points out of the Pro 2 League. Wow, that is, that is so crazy for King Kincaid not to have a couple wins already this year because 
he is so strong and dominant. And we talk about LaDuke. Well, hey, Keegan's dealing with that right now, just that luck. He was very, very upset. And as a race car driver, I'd be upset too. But, hey, these guys all are going for the win. Doug Matag, he didn't mean to get into Keegan Kincaid. Ryan Beat, he had nowhere to go. From our point of view, it looked like it was easy to negotiate. But from down on the track, that's a big hellhole. You never know what's going to be down there. And that's what happened. I think Keegan, he'll be all right. They got that truck fixed. They've been putting 13 plus hours in a night. And if anyone can bounce back, I think the Kincaids can get it done. Well, to look at it optimistically, you and I are fans more than we're anything else. Right, it's, right. It's going to be extremely fun to watch Keegan Kincaid go out and just race for wins because that's <laughs> really all he can do at this point. His, like I said, his point standings can't really get much worse. So I expect to see him just lay it down every single round from here on out and try to get as many wins as he can and you know try to put on a show for all his fans that are are starting to grow a little impatient yeah for keegan he's gonna have to hope the inversion helps him out in some ways and he's gonna have to qualify good and then you gotta think bark rivers coming up after lena that's a fast track a natural terrain track he loves getting out in front and running away and same with Crandon. We're going to the fall Crandon. I mean, we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But when you talk about laying down wins and not worrying about points, Shane, well, you watch. King Kincaid, he's going to be on the loud pedal. Yeah, Brent, for what it's worth, last year at Dirt City Motorplex, round seven and eight, Keegan didn't have a great round seven race, but bounced back in round eight, finished on the podium, and then picked up a ton of steam for the rest of the year. So, Maybe this year he does it again, has a great weekend this weekend at Dirt City Motorplex, and he can bounce back and pick up some momentum from here on out. Yeah, absolutely. Pro 2 is very, very tough. Corey Winter, he's leading the points right now. Watch for that guy to really turn things on in the second half because he's showing speed, showing great team effort. Jarrett Brooks, Alpine, California, he's brought his team to the Midwest as well as a lot of other great teams. They're ready to do battle this second half, and Ricky G, you count – can't count him out either. And then you look down fourth in the points. Kyle Kleiman just got a win at ERX Motor Park. So, I mean, I don't know what your guess is, but I couldn't tell you who's going to win. Then you throw Keegan in that mix. Right. We talked about it on one of our preseason podcasts. Last year, Pro 2 had six different winners. This year, through six rounds, they already have five different winners. Corey Winner, Jarrett Brooks, Ricky G, Mickey Thomas, and Kyle Kleiman, like you mentioned. And then you have Ryan Beat yet to win this year. He had a, a couple last year. Keegan Kincaid obviously was uh, on top of the podium last year. And you've also got Doug Matag, who's a, a former winner in Pro 2, and certainly we expect to see him compete for wins. That's eight guys that could win races. And for the pros, this is an 11-round point season. That's just amazing that the level of competition is that high. Yes, Pro 2 is so competitive, Shane. I could not tell you who's going to win the next one and be on top of the box. But speaking of competitive, super stock truck. We talk about a guy overcoming adversity. You're coming in the beginning parts of the season, leading the points. Joey Machosik. Then you come into Crandon. You take a huge, huge crash. Telling people, not knowing if you're going to make the rest of the season, they get that truck ready in a couple of weeks. Get back out there. ERX Motor Park, they lay down two second-place finishes. I mean, that is unreal, Shane. Yeah, like you said, the quick turnaround. They basically rebuilt the truck, just about the entire thing from the ground up, in just about 17 days from the time they unloaded after Crandon to loading up the day before practice day at ERX. Like you said, that's just a remarkable triumph for those guys to go out, finish second both days at ERX, 
Joey's in sixth in points, 62 points behind the points leader, Ben Holcher. But the way that this season's played out, not just in Superstock, but every class, 62 points at the halfway point is not an insurmountable margin. No, absolutely not. Not for a team like Joey Machosik. They're going to put their head down. They came into this season, if you remember from the beginning, Joey said, hey, we're going to come in for wins. We're not going to make a statement to try to go for points, settle for a third and a second here to make the championship run. We want to go for the wins. Well, hey, that's what they need to do to get back into this points race. If they win the rest out, which it's tough to do, they might have a shot at this points race. And I mean, kudos to them. Larry, Joey, and a group of guys that keeping that program together have really shown what they can do in a short period of time. And that's what our sport's about. I mean, a lot of people came together to help but Joey's driving that truck. I mean, a lot of people would be scared, not even want to get back into the truck. Yeah, it's a, a big mental step just to get back behind the wheel. Another guy that I do want to talk about from Superstock, who's still in the middle of some adversity, but I promise the story does have a, a uplifting positive note at the end. Aaron Holiday picked up his first career win in his second year in Superstock back in round three, then in round four, crashed the truck. He had to rebuild a lot of that truck too before ERX made it out to ERX and then unfortunately broke his back in practice. People that were around the racetrack, we remember there was kind of like a black cloud hanging over the whole event at that point because there were rumors running wild in the pits and everybody was waiting to hear from somebody that knew something. Ultimately looks like Aaron holiday, not going to need surgery. And this is coming directly from him. I actually talked to him uh, just five days ago said he shouldn't need surgery. He expects to be back behind the wheel next year, 2023. But his truck will be racing at Lena and the rest of the season. He's going to put one of his crew guys and one of his good friends, Josh Minton, behind the wheel. So that's a triumph for that team, too, for Aaron Holiday to stick with it, you know, put his friend in the truck, still out there competing one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to see anyone get hurt in our sport, but when somebody takes a lick like that, Boy, you just hope the best for him. And I'll tell you, to be safe in one of these trucks, you can build the cages and cut every tube and put every gusset in the right way. But sometimes when you land, you can bottom those trucks out. And that's what happened. He did some damage to himself and he'll be back. And that's what's awesome. I mean, he was already back in the shop working on that truck, making sure it's all ready to rock and roll for Lena. And we want him to get better. Aaron, I know you're probably going to listen to this. I hope everything goes good for you. It's scary. I mean, let alone to try to think about getting back in the truck, get better first because, man, you got to take care of yourself. That's That was a hard lick. That rhythm section really did take toll on a lot of drivers. Yeah, like you said, though, uh, he's he's going to be there at Lena with the truck. A racer is a racer. You cannot, uh, you cannot separate someone who's driven to compete from being at the racetrack. So he'll be there. We're in a back brace, but he's moving around pretty well, which was exciting to see. Uh, actually, when I talked to him, we were at the top of a big grandstand section that he climbed up all by himself. So uh, for what that's worth, obviously, I'm not a doctor, but said he's feeling <laughs> pretty well. So I'm glad to hear it, of course. Another story that I've seen kind of develop this year and especially kind of came to a head at ERX is that some guys who didn't have great seasons last year are starting to turn up the intensity a little bit and make their way to the front. We talked a little bit about Kyle Kleiman, picked up his first Pro 2 win since 2020. John Holcher went out and won a race in Pro Light at ERX. That's his first win since 2020. And then you've got Kyle Greaves also had a win at ERX. He nearly won the uh, 2020 Pro Light Championship. And then obviously last year he ran into the unstoppable force that is Brock Hager in Pro Light. 
but this year, Kyle Greaves at halfway has a 14-point lead over Brock Hager. Yeah, absolutely, Brock Hager. I mean, I thought he would be the guy to beat this first half, but, I mean, Kyle Greaves, he's proven us wrong, and they're doing what they need to do to stay up front, and he was just a rocket ship at ERX Motor Park. He was so much fun to watch. He got out front, and he reminded me of his cousins and his uncle, CJ and John Greaves, just so smooth running his lines, not making any kind of mistakes. And that's what you need to do in that pro light class. You have so many great talented drivers, like you were saying. I mean, John Holger, great for him getting that first win of the season here. I mean, Brock Hager, it's just a matter of time. And Matt Wood, a guy that we really normally don't talk about, he's doing a phenomenal job. Yeah, Matt Wood, a rookie in the class, raced pro stock side-by-side last year, and he's had a few competitive runs. And we were talking before we hit the record button, Brent, some of the guys that last year, you know, flashed a whole bunch. They were on the podium talking about Mason Prater, Maddox Bailey. They're both 10th and 11th in pro light points right now. Uh, Dylan Poynton didn't race at ERX, but through his first four rounds, he was struggling a little bit as well. So that tells you the depth of competitive drivers in pro light is just over the top this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much fun to watch to be in pro light. You really have to bring your a game. Like I have to say every time, because to beat a Kyle Greaves, a Brock Hager, even a John Holter right now, I mean, it's going to be tough to do Carson Paris. You can't take away anything that kid's doing. He's throwing it up on the podium. It'll be interesting to come into Lena because it's going to be a bullfight. There's not a lot of room there, but it's going to be fun. These pro light trucks, they're little. They can get in the little areas on that track. It's going to be challenging. I'm sure body panels are going to be optional there. And I couldn't tell you right now who's going to win. It's who's going to be able to get out in that clean air. Yeah, managing traffic is going to be a huge part of the game for the pro light drivers, really for all the classes, especially with how deep all of our fields are. But pro light, especially, man, if you have a tangle on the, you know, in the early laps, you have a lot of work to do because even some of those guys 10th on back in points, there's some talented drivers. Yeah. You can't count on anyone. And like we were talking earlier before we were on the set, like Connor Perry, he's done a lot of racing, but just the luck is not on his side. I mean, watch for him and that CBR truck to try to flip his switch back on. I mean, I can't wait to see Dale and point and get back in the field because you were talking about him earlier. He's fast, not a lot of luck, but we know when he gets these wide open tracks, that's a Mike Vanderhoeven chassis. He knows how to make speed. And I'll tell you when he gets back, that's going to be another guy fighting for those top three spots. And I mean, pro light hasn't been this healthy in quite a few years. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I, I kind of didn't see it coming, this influx of young guys from the West Coast, guys like Trey Gibbs, Brody Eggleston. We, we're beating this point to death, but, man, that is a lot of talent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the place to race, though. Champ off-road, I mean, that's where you want to be. And we're not just saying it because we're working for them or we're in the Midwest. Like, the big guys are here. And Pro 2, Pro 4, Pro Light, even in our side-by-side divisions, I mean, you're talking the best in the business. If you want to win, you can't just show up and think you're going to qualify okay and then put it on top of the box because guys like C.J. Greaves, Kyle Chaney, Kyle Greaves, we could just sit here all day and go down the list. They're ready to do battle, and you're not just going to push them off the pedestal. Right you are, Brent. There is talent everywhere you look in Champ Off-Road. But right now, let's take a moment to remind our listeners that this podcast is presented by Amsoil. Visit Amsoil.com for products that protect and maximize performance in all your vehicles and motorized toys. 
Use the convenient AMSOIL product guides to find what you need and get fast, free shipping on all orders over $100. AMSOIL, run with us. So let's talk a little bit about some guys who are right in the points championship hunt that maybe we wouldn't have seen or wouldn't have predicted before this season. Um, I guess let me know how surprised you are when I rattle off some of these names. Corey Winter leading pro two points. Are you surprised by that at all? I can't say I'm surprised. He's just been prepared. He's been ready. And we talked to his father and him at Spring Cranon. They were ready to do battle. They got that win. And confidence is huge. We talked about it a lot in the boost, Shane. You have to be confident to get to the front and now he's there he has a nice little points gap nothing huge but it gives him that comfy feeling going into each and every round especially when you have Jarrett Brooks and Ricky G biting at your back of your heels right and for Corey Winner I just remember feeling before this year like man that's a guy that is so close to finally getting that first win like you said it seems like after he got that win at Crandon you know it was a pretty dominant win too which is even more of a confidence boost it seems like now, with that points lead, a couple wins behind him. He's the only guy in Pro 2 with more than one win, by the way. It feels like he's a title favorite to me. Yeah, absolutely. He needs to really put that in his mind. He wants to go out for wins, but he's racing for a title. You talk to Ricky G. We talked to him outside of the racing truck. He was talking about, hey, you know, I'm going for that championship. I mean, Jared Brooks, he wants to go for that championship. They all want that top spot. And you watch that Wilson, Michigan kid. Kyle Kleiman, he'll be right there at the end because I'll tell you, he knows how to wheel a truck. We talked to Ken to Mike. He's given him the best tires. They're giving Kyle the best setup, and he works his butt off. He goes to his nine-to-five job working 60-plus hours a week and still winning in Pro 2 and one of the biggest competitive classes in our divisions. Yeah, like you said a little while ago about Pro 2, that's going to be fun to watch right down to the wire. Another class that I had my eye on coming into this year was Modcart, because obviously Easton Sleeper, the two-time Modcart champ from 2020 and 21, he moved on to Pro Spec, so it made it a wide-open class. Porter and Glazy leading the way at halfway with four wins. That's tied for the most wins in a single class in Champ Off-Road. Now, are you surprised by that at all? I can't say I'm surprised about that at all because we've watched every single race. I mean, if you're watching back at home and on Flow Racing, that kid has been fast. He gets out front. He checks out. He doesn't just open up five, six car lengths. He runs away and hides. So, I mean, they're doing what they need to do, and he's putting himself in the shoes where he needs to go for the next couple of years. He's winning races. And his eyes are set on the next level. So watch for that boy to really put the right things together to get more wins this year. And I don't think nobody's going to catch him. Yeah, and a fun piece of trivia about Porter and Glazy, by the way. His summer job is that he works for his dad's logging business and actually runs a skidder all summer. So uh, still not old enough to drive a, a passenger car, by the way, but uh, running a skidder all summer. Maybe that's the uh, secret. It's the logging equipment experience that's paying off on the racetrack. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, he's doing it right. And I'll tell you, the age of these kids and what they're doing and the capabilities of their driving skills are just over the top. I just love watching it. From where we get to see the race from, I mean, you watch these young, young drivers making moves like you watch Ryan Beat and Jarrett Brooks and Kyle LaDuke and CJ Greaves make on every giving lap. I mean... These kids are learning, so it's cool. I mean, we were playing with Tonka trucks back in the day, Shane. Like, we didn't have that opportunity, let alone right. have a yeah. mod cart, you know? Well, why don't we take it one step even to uh, younger drivers? Let's talk a little bit about short course cart. 
Halfway point, Reed LaDuke in his second year in short course cart leads the way by 14 points. Had that run from round two through round five where he finished second place four straight times. Round six finally broke through, picked off his first career win in short course cart. I got to figure you're not surprised whatsoever that, you know, the legacy, the son of Kyle LaDuke, grandson of Kurt LaDuke, is a competitive race car driver himself. Yeah, it's kind of funny you say that, Shane, because I know Kyle very well, as you know I do, and he he really knows what to do to make the car fast. He He's putting the right things in Reed's head to make sure he knows how to drive the car right, not scrubbing speed. I mean, he wants to win. When they first started, he's like, oh, I'm just going to get him out there. We don't want sponsors on board. We just want to get his feet wet, see if he likes it. And now what a year later, we're talking what four seconds and then throwing down a win. And now he has that taste of the top spot. He's getting better on the podium. I mean, he's a young race car driver and we just got done talking about young kids getting in the sport and glazies and drivers like that. Like you're going to see Reed LeDuc keep moving his way up. But right now he's really doing a great job and it's fun to watch these young drivers. They're so young and they know how to do such a great job. Right. Another guy, by the way, I'm keeping my eye on in short course cart is Carter Zahara. He's second in points. Like I said, that's a 14 point margin here at halfway. He uh, was not on the podium last year and he has lived on the podium this year. He also got his first career win, by the way, at ERX in round five. I'm looking for this points battle to come down to the final round and maybe just a couple positions at the end of the season. Yeah, I believe it's going to come down to the final round for sure. I mean, it's never over until it's over and bad luck can strike anyone at any given time. And we've seen that all year long. You can go from hero to zero in 24 hours and it's, it happens in our sport. I mean, you miss one thing on prepping the car or you make one mistake and hit a tractor tire. It can end your day, but that's why we race here in champ off road And it's going to be interesting to see who gets to that top spot at the end of the year because these young kids are really putting together great programs. Yeah, I agree. And we've said it a few times this year. I think the future is extremely bright for Champ Off-Road, for short course off-road racing. There's a lot of talent in the pipeline. Yeah, a lot of talent. I mean, I, I couldn't tell you more of what we're getting to witness. I mean, we say that we have a great job, but to get to call all the best racers in the world. We say it multiple times throughout the year, but these guys are our drivers. These guys are the drivers that people watch day in and day out. I mean, you have Doug Matag, you have guys like Kyle Chaney. I mean, once in a while you see them up on top of the box, but when they do get up there, you watch them for multiple times working and working so hard that, hey, they show uh, we belong up here, too. I mean, guys like Kyle the Duke, CJ Greaves, John Greaves, everybody knows that those monster trucks are going to be up in the top three. But it's just a matter of time that you're going to see like Henderson and guys like that, not even at the pro four level ranks, like even in our sportsman divisions. I mean, you're going to see a lot of new winners in this second half. So far, Brent, when it comes to these points battles, we've talked about podium finishes lead to wins and kind of wins lead to championships. Do you want to talk about a really weird points battle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're talking we're talking we have a lot of great points battles in a lot of different classes right now. So I got a points battle at the halfway point here in Champ Off-Road that is head and shoulders far more weird than any other one. How about this? Sportsman side by side, the top 5 drivers in points have combined for one single win. It's a 16-point gap from Ben Berger in first to Dustin DeGrand in fifth in points. Those five drivers 
one single win, and that was Bryce Carlson back in round four. That class is so volatile, so chaotic. Have you ever seen a points battle play out like that before? No, absolutely not. It's been a long time. I mean, we've seen it in the past in the Pro 4s and the bigger classes, but to be in sportsmen side-by-side, to say Ben Berger's leading the points at the halfway point, I'm telling you, Riley Marcourt, he's only what? He has 222 points to 233, so 11 points behind like, it is crazy. And for Bryce Carlson to have the only win, and he's sitting in fourth. Right. And, you know, looking at that top five group, Dustin DeGrand has been second on the podium a couple times, has a third place as well. Another guy up there in the top five, currently second in points, only three points out, Jacob Blemke. We just talked to Colin Kearns on the podcast just a couple days ago, and he singled out Jacob Blemke as someone that he sees, that uh, Colin sees, I should say, has stepped his game up for this year. But again, he's still looking for a win, too, just like most of the rest of the guys in the uh, top group. The wins, by the way, three have gone to Matt Vander Hayden. He's sixth in points. Uh, Cody Jones has a win as well. And then Trent Peets won back in round one, but he's had a couple dud rounds, just like most of the field has. Like I said, it's an absolutely chaotic class, super chaotic points battle. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about being consistent. These top four guys, they they know what it's like to be consistent. I mean, for Ben and Jacob to not even have a win and they're sitting one, two in the points. I mean, you almost feel bad for the guys that have had wins this year. I mean, we talk, yeah, guys have wins, but then the next day they end up 18th, 19th. So that levels everything out. So, I mean, you can't just have one good day, one bad day and think you're going to win the points. Right. And we're seeing that actually play out in a lot of different classes where consistency is good enough to at least have you in the mix at halfway. Why don't you set up the super buggy points battle, how it stands at halfway? Because this is a tight one too. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of tight battles, 271 to 271, Michael Meister and Mark Steinhardt are dead even going into the second half. And we watched Michael Meister, Shane, kick everybody's rear end at ERX Motor Park. And I'll tell you, it's going to be hard to chase him down. But then Michael Hester, you look at him, 269, and then the big surprise this year. Not a surprise to us. We knew he could get the job done, but probably surprising a lot of people out there. His first year in Super Buggy, Billy Booth in the four spot. Unreal. Yeah, that points margin from first where Meister and Steinhardt are tied all the way back to Billy Booth in fourth is only eight points. That's another one that just feels like it's anybody's game. And you talked about Billy Booth. Feels really strange to call him a rookie, but this is his first year in Super Buggy after coming out of the two limited buggy classes. And I didn't think he would be this close to championship competition this soon. I expected him to land on the podium a few times, but I'm really impressed what I've seen out of that 51 car. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we talked to him throughout the season, but for him to be where he's at right now, that doesn't surprise me, but it really makes me keep an eye on him because him and his father have done a lot of work to get that buggy together. Elliot Watson was actually there at ERX Motor Park watching them develop that car and get it to where they need to be. And for me to watch Billy Booth come out of the lower ranks of the 1600 singles, 1600 light buggy class, he can drive. You can ask Mike Van Hoogle, we keep bringing him up because he did it. They know how to wheel those cars, keep that momentum and win in the smaller classes. And to me, I think he's just adapting so fast and so well because he's that talented and that car is getting to be dialed and very, very tough, I think, in this second half. And he he looks at that championship now. I wouldn't think that he would think so in the beginning parts of the year, 
But right now, he really has to think about, hey, we got a shot at this thing. Right, and you mentioned the amount of talent Billy Booth has, but you'll remember we had him on the podcast last year, too, and that guy does his homework. He told right. us that he just grinds film as much as he possibly can. He says he watches any kind of off-road race, any class from you know the 170s all the way up to Pro 4. He'll watch it all just to try to find some advantage he can get over his competition. Yeah, absolutely. You and I both know you have to be prepared, and to watch races, you can say what you want, but it's a long winter for us in the Midwest. And to be better at what you're doing, you have to watch and learn from your mistakes or learn from other people's mistakes. And you have to know the drivers that you're racing around. I mean, Mark Steinhardt, that guy's a veteran. I mean, he knows how to win. He's tied right now. So, I mean, you don't think that Michael can feel that pressure breathing down his back. I mean, the old vet, he's relaxed. He can't wait to get to the second half of the season. But Michael Meister, somebody better lasso him because I'm telling you, he was laying down some quick laps. Yeah, you talked about pressure a little bit. I guess we'll see if any of those drivers crumbles a little bit. You know, we saw last year towards the end of the year how quickly the uh, metaphorical wheels can fall off a uh, championship chase. But again, this is another one I expect to come right down to the wire. There's a handful of other tight points battles. Uh, let's see if any of these stand out to you. 570s, you've got Riker Remington, Chase Braun, Ethan Dressel. The top three separated by only four points. That's a great battle at the halfway point. Light Buggy, you've got the Schultz twins separated by two points with Colin holding on to that lead. And then Pro-Am side-by-side, two points there between Bill Berger and Colin Kearns. Which one of those three are you most excited to see the rest of the way out? Honestly, Pro-Am side-by-side. Bill Berger leading the points, that's awesome. Colin Kearns... He's dedicated to what he's got going on. He's a smooth, calm, cool, and collected driver. He wants to be there. He wants to win, and he's putting in the time, and you can tell. You look down to third, Mike Caswell, that points race. I mean, he looks to be not in it right now, but, I mean, bad luck could strike at any of those drivers, and he could be right in there. That's a good half season so far for Mike Caswell, but, I mean, I think that is my eye this second half is pro-am side-by-side because Bill Berger, go get him, buddy, because, hey, nobody expected this, but he's fast. So I'm going to disagree with you. I think the most exciting one for me to watch the rest of the way through is probably the 570s because Riker Remington uh-huh. is a rookie, and he is leading points over the defending champion, Chase Braun, who absolutely laid a smackdown on the entire 570 class last year. I think Remington sweeping at Crandon maybe put the whole field on notice that, oh, man, we got another really fast guy to deal with. But you look at the consistency, the good season that Ethan Dressel has had. And like I said, first to third is only four points. These kids are hungry, and I think they're going to put on a heck of a show the rest of the way on to the end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know you disagree on my call, but at the same time, hey, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. And I only I only disagreed with you for <laughs> dramatic effect. You know that, right? Exactly. I was getting to that. I was getting <laughs> to that. But no, I mean, I agree. Like 570, it's crazy. I mean, Riker's doing what he needs to do taking that top spot with Braun that is always leading the race, is always checking out. It's cool to see a new leader. I mean, you got a long way to go, but Riker right now is really doing what he needs to do, and he's in a fast car, and if he can stay out front, I don't think there'll be many guys that can run him down in this second half, and to get that championship, that's that'd be huge for that team, but hey, it's a long way to go. That's setting up to be one heck of a rivalry, too, if you remember the finish to that round five race at ERX Motor Park. Uh, Riker was holding off Chase Braun coming into the final lap. They were basically nose to tail, and then some lap traffic came into play in the final corners, and Remington was able to hold on to get that win by .023 seconds. 
I didn't look back far enough in the uh, history books. That might be the tightest finish in the uh, three seasons of Champ Off-Road. I can't imagine there's going to be a closer one this year. I know that's going to be hard to beat, but hey, that's what we love to see. We love to see the finish come right down to the end, and we've seen it. I mean, even in stock truck, we've seen Corey Holger get there right at the last second and make everything count at the end. I mean, you run every lap like it's your last. The way I look at it, back in the day, they called it enduro truck. It's stock truck now. These trucks can handle these jumps. You have to have a package to make it through 20 minutes of pure hell, if you ask me, because these trucks are stock trucks still. They have a little bit of suspension, but hey, to have a good finish, you have to have a good truck. And I'm telling you, Stock Truck really shows some good battles. Yeah, and for my money, that rivalry, Corey Holcher, Diesel Shannick, that's one of the best rivalries in Champ Off-Road. I just think back to the podium after Corey Holcher made that last corner pass in round six. By the way, that was a tenth of a second that they were apart at the line. <laughs> I remember the look on Diesel's face on the podium. It looked like someone uh, poured salt in his coffee or, you know, insert another metaphor about breakfast food there. He just looked so disappointed, so frustrated. These guys really, really badly want to beat each other. They have a lot of respect for one another, and they race each other like they have a ton of respect. But, man, those guys are driven to beat the other one. That's a tremendous rivalry in stock truck. Yeah, these guys are really good competitors. They're very, very fast. And going back to when you said Diesel's face on the podium, that was hilarious because we knew how bad he wanted to win. And then when they interviewed him, Nolan interviewed him and he said, hey, you know, I made a mistake. I pushed wide, left that inside open. And hey, that is what happens when you get excited on the last lap. And you're listening to that truck, making sure it's not breaking, make sure you're going to make it to the end. And hey, you get caught sleeping on one turn. Corey Holger was ready and he pounced on it. And that's stock truck for you. That's a good class. It's fast. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And by the way, Corey Holger's home track, Dirt City Motorplex, where we're headed next here in just a couple of days. Well, I think the uh, audience at this point driving on their way to Dirt City Motorplex probably tired of hearing our two voices, but <laughs> I do have a couple rapid-fire questions. First up, what's more surprising to you, that Brock Hager is just running away with the Pro Stock Championship again, or that he's trailing by 14 points at halfway to Kyle Greaves in Pro Light? Oh, man, I'd have to say he's trailing Kyle Greaves because I think I thought – they were going to go win for win all season long. But every time we've said the word pro light in the last two, three seasons, since Kyle Kleiman was dominant, we talk about Brock Hager. I don't care if it was out West or Midwest. Now that we're all back in this same area, I'll tell you, that's the biggest surprise. But give credit to Kyle Greaves. He did his homework. Him and his father built that truck. They're fast. They help a lot of people. They deserve the respect. So, for them to beat Brock Hager and pull Brock Hager, not just beat him, they were pulling Brock Hager. That is a big accomplishment for that team. I fully agree with you. I think Kyle Greaves got very, very tired last year of seeing Brock Hager's back bumper That because that's how it played out all season. Like I said, uh, Hager just laid a beat down on everybody else in pro light. I'm actually more surprised that he's up by 30 plus points in pro stock at halfway I thought that the dominance he had last year would light a fire under some of the other guys. Obviously, C.J. Greaves coming back in a brand new car, developing the Polaris program. You wouldn't expect him to come out and compete for wins right away, but I just didn't think Hager would run away with it like he has. So I'm I'm more surprised by the pro stock side of things. Well, I can agree with you on that, Shane, because, I mean, I I get it. I mean, Brock Hager, it's surprising he has that big gap, but he's getting a brand new car from 
Jason and Corey Weller, the top of line equipment from Weller Racing Products, brand new Yamahas. I mean, so is so is CJ Greaves with the players. He's getting good equipment, don't get me wrong, but it'll take time for them to develop it. We're just used to seeing CJ on top of everything that he drives and capabilities of wheeling it. He knows how to wheel anything he gets into. So it's kind of like, oh man, where's CJ at? But I think it's a matter of time. He's showing his speed, but Brock Hager, you say the name, the kid knows what he's doing and he's in those classes for a reason because he knows he can be dominant. Yeah, well, we'll see if he can hold on to that huge lead all the way through the end of the season. Let's shift gears a little bit. How about a, a buggy nerd question? What's been more fun for you to watch this year? Mike Seafelt having success in the 1600 buggy after taking nine years off of off-road racing or Billy Booth stepping up to super buggy and being in the points chase? Wow, that is a tough question because mad respect for Seafelt to get back out here, pull himself out of retirement. Uh, I'll tell you, he did a great job at Anago. Wasn't able to be with us at ERX Motor Park, but I'll tell you, Schultz stepped in and didn't miss a heartbeat. Him and Fitz were doing battle very, very quick. It's cool to have a teammate like that to step in and hope he comes back. That's That was very, very cool to see. But then Billy Booth, I have to touch base on both of them. Like They both are like, wow, like cool to see Seafelt back, but Billy Booth to lay down where he's sitting in the points right now and have a shot at that title. My eyes are set on that super buggy class. Yeah, I think I'm more excited to see Seafelt racing or competitive once again, but that's just the the old school buggy nerd in me more than anything. I fondly remember watching him and Steiny race back in 1600, so it's just cool to see Mike Seafelt on the racetrack. All right, one more question for you. Make a prediction. Who wins more races in the second half, Keegan Kincaid or Kyle LaDuke? This is a tough one. Man, you just gave me the chills a little bit because, man, <laughs> for the talent that they have and the luck that they've had to overcome that i hope the best for both of them I, those guys are awesome race car drivers if i had to guess i'd have to put my hands behind my back and just pick one and i'd have to say ah kyle Duke, maybe but then you go to keegan crandon's coming park river's coming i mean they're not crappy teams so it's just like a light switch away i mean don't get me wrong Anybody can win, but I think each one of those guys are going to bounce back. But I'll, I'll have to say Kyle LaDuke, but no offense, Keegan. I think you're going to be there right there, too. <laughs> well, that's okay, because I'm going to stand up for my uh, Forest County hometown guy as well. And I'm going to say Keegan's going to have more wins in the second half, only because I really want to see him come out and just go for broke. I think to see him just put on a clinic, like I said, he's... 100 plus points out of the points chase at this point that hope has evaporated i want to see keegan kincaid just go out and just lay an old school smack down on the rest of the pro two field i think that'll be exciting to watch him try to do it yeah i i, I totally agree i i'm excited to watch keegan kincaid lay the smack down like you say because i'll tell you he's gonna get the job done sooner or later i mean the luck he had he looked really quick on the start there and Nowhere to go, got taken out, but hey, they had a lot of work ahead of them. They bounce back, and you watch. I'll tell you, I agree with you as well. King Kincaid, he's going to be tough. That fall Cranon, we remember him in the fall. He knows where every rock is located on that Cranon track, and to end the year, year that to end the year at Crandon and to have that much confidence, it's hard to beat Keegan. Yeah, he'll bounce back, just like you said, Kyle Duke. He'll bounce back as well. It's going to be a great second half. It's been a super fun first half, but uh, that's just about a wrap for, I think, what are the biggest stories in the uh, first half of the 2022 Champ Off-Road season. Of course, rounds seven and eight 
the second half begins in just a couple days at Dirt City Motorplex. If you are not able to make it, you can always watch us on flowracing.com. And if you're not a subscriber yet, you really should get on there because it's tremendous to go on there and watch all kinds of motorsports. And you and I both go back and watch previous races. You know, I watched the final lap of that 570 race just earlier today and got to relive it as a fan a little bit, which was super fun. But of course, we'd love to have you there in the stands at Dirt City as well. Yeah, I cannot wait to get to Lena, Wisconsin. It is a few short hours away, and I'll be heading that way to get the weekend going. I cannot wait, Shane. It's going to be amazing. Make sure you get on Flow Racing. Go check it out or be there. For Shane Stetsney, I'm Brent Smith on the Champ Off-Road Podcast presented by Amsoil. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Champ Off-Road Podcast presented by Amsoil.